0: Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. There's no final to talk about from last night because the regular season is over. This is our 2020 regular season wrap-up episode. We're going to dive into the stats. We're going to look at the the matchup with the Yankees for the wildcard round. And we're going to talk about this 2020 season. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan. And I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And I want to just say thank you to everybody that's come along for the ride on this 2020 season. It was a bizarre season. We had a reduced schedule. We had new rules. We have a new playoff format. New extra inning rules. There was a lot. There was a lot to this 2020 season. So, I hope you found the show informative. I hope you enjoyed learning about some of the advanced stats, you know, kind of the pace that I went over them, you know. I'm going to continue to do that for new listeners of the show. I'll always continue to break down a stat, explain it a little bit, make sure that we're all on the same page when it comes to these advanced stats because you know, a lot of these baseball guys, a lot of these journalists out there have been dealing with these advanced stats for a long time. And I think they're starting to become part of baseball fans' vocabulary, but not yet, right? It hasn't fully clicked yet. They're starting to show things like OPS. They're starting to show things like FIP or something like that when they show a player's stats, when they show their lower third graphics during the games. So these things are starting to become more regular terms for us baseball fans, but we'll keep going over them. So that way we're all on the same page. We can all learn together. So if you've enjoyed the show, do me a favor. If you're listening on Apple podcasts, go ahead and give the show a star rating. Take a second out of your day, go over there, click and give it a star rating. It really helps the visibility of the show. It helps grow the show. I'm blown away with how many listens we've already gotten throughout the 2020 season and who knows, if we have a deep playoff run, maybe Cleveland Baseball Mornings will take off, will be the hit baseball podcast that everybody wants to listen to. So if you could help me out and give the show a star rating, I really, really appreciate it. And if you're not following me on Twitter, it's at Davey Barris. I, I try to tweet as much as I can during the games. I'm usually cooking dinner and playing with the dog and hanging out with the family, so Uh, I don't always tweet along with the games, but I'll try my best, especially with these postseason games. Uh, If you want to get in on a conversation, it's at Davey Barris. I'll try my best during these postseason games because uh, they're going to be fun. I'm definitely going to be locked into these games here. All right, so let's talk about this Indians 2020 season. Their final record on this season, 35-25. Runs scored 248, runs against 209. If I told you the Indians were gonna at the beginning of this in a sixty-game season the Indians were gonna finish thirty-five and twenty-five, you would have you would have been like, yeah, I'll take that. Ten games over five hundred, sure. That's gonna be pretty good. It's good enough for second place in the American League Central. Uh, their home record was eighteen and twelve. Their road record was seventeen and thirteen. They actually had a better run differential on the road, even though they have a slightly higher winning percentage on the road. At home, their run differential at home was even. It was one twenty and one twenty. On the road, they scored one twenty eight, gave up eighty nine. So, apparently, their pitchers were better on the road. Uh, that's interesting. By month, uh, five and three in July, sixteen and eleven in August, and fourteen and eleven in September. So, pretty darn steady. Pretty steady as the months went on. Um, Man, we played six extra inning games. We were four and two in extra inning games. In one-run games, we were eight and six. In blowout games, we were ten and seven. Uh, So, yeah, so uh, consistent again, right? Just kind of chugging along, you know, better than 500 in all of these stats here. All right, we dominated a lot of teams this year. We dominated the White Sox. We were eight and two against the White Sox. We were three and one against Cincinnati. We were seven and three against Detroit. Uh, we only faced Milwaukee for three games. We were two and one against them. The Pirates, we were five and one against. And St. Louis, we only faced for three games. We were two and one. Now the teams we struggled against: the Minnesota Twins. We were three and seven against the Twins. That's why I am really glad we are not facing them in the first round of this playoffs. It could have been lined up like that if we didn't win yesterday. We were probably facing the Twins. So it's good news. We don't have to see them. And then Kansas City, for surprisingly, we were 5-5 five and five against Kansas City, even though our run differential against them was plus 9. 41 runs scored, 32 runs against. So even though we have a positive run differential, Kansas City was able to split the series with us this year. That hurt. That, I mean, that's the division right there. If we dominate Kansas City the way we dominated Detroit or the White Sox, we probably win this American League Central. And then the Cubs, we got our butts kicked by the Cubs. We were 0-4 against the against the Cubs. 10 runs scored to 23 runs against. Not, not great. Not great. Looking back over the season, we actually had a couple of losing streaks within this season and a couple of winning streaks. Uh, it, it was a pretty streaky team, actually. Um, at the end of July, we struggled. We lost three out of four to Minnesota and then lost the first game to Cincinnati. That was the um, that was a little four game losing streak in there, but we bounced back and we ended up winning the next three against Cincinnati to win the Ohio Cup. Remember the, the great Ohio Cup, including a 13 to nothing blowout in the final game of that season. I mean final game of that, a series on August 6th. And we needed that. Up until that point, uh, we had scored a couple of runs early, but starting with the loss to to the White Sox on July 29th, we didn't score more than two runs for one, two, three, four, five, six days in a row. We didn't score more than two runs, which is brutal. We finally scored four runs in the second game against Cincinnati and then two runs the next day. So eight days in a row, we didn't score more than four runs. And we were all really hurt, killing this offense. We were really just angry at this offense. Finally, we explode for 13 runs against Cincinnati on August 6th. And what do we do? We bounce back against the White Sox the next day and get shut out. It felt like anytime the offense exploded, the next day was terrible. We would go on, though, to win that series against the White Sox and then get our butts kicked by the Cubs. That White Sox series, by the way, I'm pretty sure that's the series that uh, Plesak and, uh, Clevenger got in trouble, uh, out there partying with their friends, not partying, but hanging out with their friends out there in Chicago. So that was August 7th through the 9th. That was, uh, that was a blemish on this season. That definitely was not a fun part of this season. Uh, police won that game in Chicago on August 8th and then went out to dinner with his friends and everything went to hell for our pitching staff. So we get beat up by the Cubs back home, but then we go on a long winning streak. We sweep Detroit that extended our winning streak against Detroit. We pushed it over 20 games. I think it was insane how much we've been dominating Detroit. And then we sweep Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh and everybody was looking great. Savali went nine innings. I think in that one uh, on his win against the pirates. I think that was Savali's best game of the season. Then Detroit finally gets us back home. They finally take two or three from us. They finally beat us for the first time in a long time. So good on Detroit. They finally got a win against us. That series hurt a little bit there. You came off six in a row and you thought we were going to roll a nine in a row. And then Detroit takes two from us. Uh, Plucko got the loss in that first one. Remember, Plucko was making some starts here. In place of Plisak and Clevenger, we needed Plucko to start. And it didn't go great. He wasn't really great as a starter. He's been okay out of the bullpen. And uh, McKenzie made his debut. He gets the win against Detroit. That was a huge game. And then Carrasco ends up taking the loss in the last game of that series. We actually take two out of three from Minnesota, though, at home. So that, that was big. Because at that point, Minnesota had been kicking our butt. So to take two out of three from them was big. And then we go on a streak of just winning series here. So we take two out of three from Minnesota. We take two out of three from St. Louis. We take two out of three from Kansas City. We take two out of three from Milwaukee, including a walk-off. We didn't have a walk-off win until September. And then suddenly the magic just came alive in September. Now, we did have two walk-off losses to the Cubs, so that's no fun. But we had four walk-off wins in the month of September, including three in the last week of the season. So after we, uh, after we win that series Milwaukee, we win the first in Kansas City, and then the losing streak begins. And it was rough early. Kansas City really beat up on us for the next three games, and those were home games too. And uh, Simber took a loss in the first one. I think that was what sent Simber down to the minors was that loss. Uh, then we get shut out by Kansas City, and then we get blown out 11 to one by Kansas City in the final game of that of that series. And that was a Savali start. Savali had some rough starts down the stretch here. Then we get swept by Minnesota. That was brutal because we finally started scoring some runs. We lose four to eight in the second game of that season, five to seven in the next game of that series, and uh, we were finally scoring runs again. But then the pitching wasn't holding up. Then the two walk offs to the Cubs. Both close, tough games. The one in extra innings against the Cubs. Those were brutal losses. Finally, Detroit. We get our legs back against Detroit. We win two out of three against... I'm sorry, three out of four against Detroit, which we desperately needed. And then we sweep the White Sox at home. And that was the... Right? That was the that was the series of the season against the White Sox at home there. We, uh, including two walk-off wins and then a big comeback late I think on September 24th to win that game 5 to 4 those were just I mean we go into that th- in third place right we start that series in third place by the end of it we've pulled ourselves back up into second place and uh yeah oh the first game against Pittsburgh I'm sorry the walk off against Pittsburgh we pull ourselves back into second place and yeah I mean we started when we lost to Detroit on September 19th, we were six games back in the division. And we pull ourselves up into second place one game back by the 25th. That's that's incredible. Six days in a row, basically, we just climbed the standings. And we're a game back at that point against Pittsburgh. The loss to Pittsburgh hurt. The shutout to Pittsburgh really hurt. Savali so had a really rough game. Musgrove looked like an ace pitching against us. And then we win the final game of the season, jump the White Sox for second place, so we win that final series. So we won the last three series of the season against Detroit, the White Sox, and Pittsburgh to claim second place in this division. Now, if this had been a, a normal playoff format, the, uh, the Indians would have been in the wildcard game no matter what. So that's, that's pretty good to know. I believe, yeah, the Yankees would have not made the playoffs. Toronto would have not made the playoffs. Houston would have not made the playoffs. It would have been if, I mean, obviously over a 162-game season, season, anything could have happened compared to a 16-game season. But if the playoff format had stayed the same from years past, it would have been the Indians hosting the White Sox in that wild card game. Remember the one-game playoff to get in. And then probably going on to face Tampa Bay. So the Indians would have made the postseason regardless of what the format looks like. So that is pretty cool. All right. Now let's take a look at some team stats here because I got some bad news for you. The 2020 Cleveland Indians have officially the worst batting average in franchise history we've been tracking it all year their final batting average on the season was 228 the next worst was the 68 indians who hit 234 who by the way finished with an 86 and 75 record they were a winning team too that's insane the two worst batting average teams uh, both had winning records. That that was back when there was just the AL. There wasn't even the AL East. It was just the AL, and they finished in third place that season. Uh, the OPS wasn't as bad as uh as that 1968 team. Our OPS was actually 6.89. So all the walks, all the the slugging percentage definitely helped out. None of these other stats are really comparable because. Obviously, a 60-game season, you know, a reduced schedule, we can go down to some of the year-by-year batting, and I can tell you that it was the lowest hits per game. Obviously, you would expect with the lowest batting average, it was the lowest hits per game with 7.43. The next lowest was the 1907 Indians, who had 7.73 hits, and the 1908, who had 7.78 hits per game. And so yeah, so uh, you're down there with the teams from the turn of the century as far as this offensive production goes. Um home runs per game not the lowest, absolutely not the lowest. Middle of the road for home runs. Uh RBIs per game again not the lowest, middle of the road for RBIs per game. Uh strikeouts. This is actually the worst strikeout team worst strikeout offense in Indians history surpassing last year in 2019 we averaged 8.22 strikeouts per game this isn't per nine this is per game here this is a baseball reference in the 2020 Indians had 8.62 strikeouts per game Uh, It's those two seasons, the last two seasons are the first time any team in franchise history has ever eclipsed eight strikeouts per game. So that's not good. That is not good at all. As far as walks per game go, we were at 3.98, just under four. That puts us around the top 10, 15 all time for walks per game. So that's what helped our on-base percentage right there. We were definitely able to walk more than teams in the past. Have been able to. So, in some ways, this is literally the worst offense in franchise history. All right, what about pitching? How did the pitching compare to years past? Pretty darn good. Uh, The year by year pitching, speaking of strikeouts, this has been the most dominant strikeout pitching staff in franchise history. 10.43 strikeouts per nine innings for the Cleveland Indians. And it surpasses the 2017 Indians who had 10.08. And you can imagine this is all recent history here. All these teams and like the top 10 are all from the 2000s. Um, 2017 Indians were 10.08. The 2018 Indians were 9.54 and the 2019 Indians were 9.44. So, Clearly, the last four years has been the most dominant strikeout pitching by a Cleveland Indians pitching staff. As far as whip goes, now, if you remember, whip is walks, hits per inning pitched. A very good marker of how effective a pitcher is at keeping guys off base. The fourth best whip in franchise history at 1.114. Definitely the best in the modern era. The best whip ever was the 1908 Indians, who were at 1.053. Then the 1906 Indians, who were at 1.106. You get a little more modern here with the 68 Indians, who were at 1.111. So, as far as modern history goes, as far as the 2000s go, definitely the best whip uh, in a long time in in franchise history here. Um, Going to some of the stats per game. And it just continues to look really good here. Strikeouts per game, uh, 10.35. The most strikeouts per game. Now, remember, the other one was per nine, right? So this is per game here, 10.35. Beating the 2017 Indians at 9.96. The only team in franchise history to average over 10 strikeouts per game. Um, Home runs per nine. Not the most effective at preventing home runs. We actually let up a lot of home runs, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. eighth worst in franchise history at 1.14. A lot of these numbers are modern numbers from the 2000s uh, from 99 there. Uh, clearly, the ball is more alive than it used to be. So yeah, so that is how our pitching stacks up against uh, some of the other pitching. In franchise history. This stat blew me away. The average innings pitched per game, right? You would assume it would be nine or just under nine. Now in franchise history, the most innings pitched per game for a f- team was the 1943 Indians who were at 9.19 innings per game. That means they had to play so many extra inning games that their average innings pitched was over nine. And that's not the only team to do it. Uh, There are at least like 20 or 25 teams here that all average over nine innings pitched. Now, most of them are slightly over 9.01, 9.02. So I guess if you pitched nine innings and then had a couple of extra inning games, it would push you slightly over. But remember, if you're the home team and you're winning, uh, or if you're the away team and you lose... You don't pitch the ninth inning, right? If you lose in the top of the ninth inning, is the away team. So for this to happen, you have to win a lot of away games, which means you're pitching that ninth inning and then have a couple of extra inning games sprinkled in. But 9.19, that blew me away. Uh, Not something I expected to see on the year-by-year pitching. All right, let's take a look at the individual players. And as you can guess, yes, it's Jose Ramirez who leads pretty much everything uh batting average he runs away with it 292 batting average the next closest was Cesar Hernandez at 283 then Fermil Reyes at 275 Francisco Lindor at 258 and Delino De Shields at 252 and believe me those are the only ones you want me talking about it gets really ugly from there all right we're jumping back over to fan graphs to take a look at all this stuff uh OPS it continues to be uh, obviously Jose Ramirez running away with OPS. He has a 993 OPS. Fermil Reyes was next at 795. Cesar Hernandez was at 763. Francisco Lindor was at 750. Those are the only guys over seven. Remember, OPS is simply on base percentage plus slugging percentage. So if you're hitting home runs, if you're walking, if you're hitting doubles, that's going to run up your OPS. If you're in the 700s, you're doing okay. You had a decent season in the 700s. If you're in the 800s, you're pretty good. You're probably one of the better players on your team. If you're in the 900s, you're great. You're an all-star. You're, you're doing fantastic. If you're over a thousand OPS, you are a candidate for MVP. And for Mil Reyes was, or I'm sorry, Jose Ramirez was knocking on the door at 993 there. And I think only one person. I think DJ LeMayhew is the only one that finished over 1,000 OPS. So Reyes, Hernandez, and Lindor all had decent seasons. Carlos Santana, man, despite finishing with three extra base hits in the last game of the season, his OPS is at 699. His average is at 199. You know he would have loved to crack 200 and 700 to finish the season out. I just could not get there. Uh, so, yeah, so the OPSs are not looking good for the Indians. All right, what else can we tell from fan graphs here? Well, when it comes to war, it's definitely Jose Ramirez. He leads all of baseball at 3.4. You might see it somewhere F-war. War, again, is wins above replacement. So what would the replacement player do compared to what this player did? If you see F war, that just means it's from FanGraphs. FanGraphs, Baseball Reference. They, 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 there's a slight variation in the way they calculate this. So if you see F war, I know a lot of people have been tweeting it out. That's all they're referring to. It's just coming from FanGraphs. So taking a look at some of the fun statistical stats here on FanGraphs. Bat Bip, batting average, balls in play. Who do you think the leader was on this one? Now this is a measure. Of everything that happens once the ball goes into play. So it takes out strikeouts. It um I think it does it take out home runs too. So this is this is just putting the ball in the field of play. So it measures two things. It measures a little bit of luck, right? It also measures maybe how effective you were at beating the shift, maybe hitting to the opposite field, using the whole field, right? It's a good measure of that. So Cesar Hernandez actually leads the team in BAP BIP. He hit 364 in this stat. Fermil Reyes was next at 355. The to Shields actually at 346. Jose Ramirez was at, Mike Freeman was at 321, although a much smaller sample size than those guys. And Jose Ramirez was at 294. Lindora, 280. So clearly Cesar Hernandez uh, did the best. Either he did the best at putting the ball in play, or he was also the luckiest. Uh, Maybe an outfielder couldn't get it. Maybe he hit it to the guy who had the least range on the infield. You know, things like that all figure into dip. So let's take a look at ISO here. ISO is all about power, isolated power. And it takes out singles, basically. It just looks at your doubles, your triples, and your home runs. And it weights them towards home runs, right? Home runs are more valuable. Well, obviously, you would expect Jose Ramirez is leading that. He led the team in home runs with 17, and he's leading the ISO with 315 ISO. That's ridiculously good. Uh, next is for Mio Reyes. He was second on the team with nine home runs, and it definitely weights towards home runs at 175. Luplo. Luplo was actually uh, third on the team with 160, 167 ISO. I'm surprised Cesar Hernandez isn't higher. Because, well, doubles aren't weighted as high as home runs. He only had three home runs on the season. His ISO was down at 124. So, isolated power, it's clearly all Jose Ramirez. All right, who was the worst at striking out this season? Uh, The strikeout percentage was, was Austin Hedges and Daniel Johnson. So, let's, and Bo Taylor. Let's eliminate those guys because they did not play that many games. Roberto Perez. Roberto Perez struck out 34.5% of the time. That is not good. Not a great look. Greg Allen struck out a lot. Domingo Santana struck out a lot. Remember him? I think he's still in the player pool. So, I mean, if something were, and injuries were to happen, you you could actually theoretically hear Domingo Santana's name again. Mercado struck out 29% of the time. Getting into the more regular players, Fermil Reyes struck out 28.6% of the time. Tyler Naquin, 28.4% of the time. So not good. The, the best on the team at not striking out was actually Josh Naylor in a small sample size, only 12.5% of the time. And then Francisco Lindor, it felt like he struck out a lot, but he also had the most at-bats of anyone on the team. So 15.4% for him. Take a guess who led the team in walks. Come on, take a guess. It's Tana. It's Carlos Santana. 18.4% of the time he walked. Sandy Leone actually pretty decent at drawing a walk. 17.3% of the time he was drawing a walk. So there you go. Those are your walk leaders. All right. Let's take a look at some of the other fun stats that Fangraphs gives us and then we'll wrap this episode up here. Win probability added. This is a stat we've talked about a lot this season. Uh, The leader, it's not good. It's not good here. There's only five guys that actually have a positive win probability added total. Now, there's win probability plus the things you've done to add to your team, and there's win probability minus the things you've done to subtract for your team. The only guys with positive win probability added on offense are Bradley Zimmer, actually, Cesar Hernandez, Tyler Naquin, Carlos Santana, and then Jose Ramirez running away with it with 1.45. Carlos Santana was second at 0.24. So uh, everybody, including Francisco Lindor, was down in negative numbers here. So not that's not great. Compare that to the Yankees, who we're about to face. The Yankees have 11 guys with positive win probability added on their offense. So not it's not great. That is not great to see um let's take a look at the pitchers let's not leave the pitchers out of this thing here the pitchers obviously you can guess strikeouts per nine innings it's Shane Bieber just like Jose Ramirez ran away with a lot of these stats on offense uh Shane Bieber is going to run away with a lot of these stats on the pitching side however uh, he does not run away with strikeouts per nine because of the relievers. Some of the relievers actually got him here. Obviously, for the starters, he runs away with it at 14.20. It was the best in baseball as far as that goes. Uh, but the relievers technically outdid him on this one. 17.67 strikeouts per nine for Karinchek. Dominic Leone actually can strike out a lot of guys. In uh, only 9.2 innings pitched, he was at 14.9 strikeouts per nine. Uh, Then Maton, Han, the next starter would be Tristan McKenzie, followed by Carlos Carrasco. And then uh, Nick Wickren all averaged over 10 strikeouts per nine. All right, who was the worst at walking, guys? Who gave, oh man, well, Kyle Nelson doesn't count. It was one game. Uh, Logan Allen was pretty bad. He was at 5.91 walks per nine innings. I know Logan Allen was this big prospect we got from San Diego last year, but it is not Been a good season for him. Karinchek, we know Karinchek walks, guys. 5.33. Clevenger was actually the worst starter at walks, and then Carrasco. But Clevenger was almost a full walk per nine ahead of him. He walked 4.37. Carrasco is the highest current starter at 3.57. Home runs per nine. Again, Kyle Nelson is an outlier. Uh, It's Dominic Leone... Uh, So although he strikes out a ton of guys, he walks a bunch and gave up a bunch of home runs. 2.79 home runs per nine. Clevenger was next at 1.99. Flacco would be the next starter at 1.63, followed by Tristan McKenzie at 1.62. We said McKenzie gives up a lot of fly balls. He's kind of a fly ball pitcher, and home runs just kind of come with the territory there. So there are some of your season wrap-up Pitching stats there. Now let's preview this series we got coming up with the Yankees, and let's talk a little bit about what you're gonna have to expect with this Yankees team because uh, they've been banged up. They've been banged up, but they uh, they're they're pretty healthy right now. They're definitely like trying to give guys rest and stuff like that. They weren't starting. It'll be interesting to see in this playoffs if they start uh, Giancarlo Stanton two games in a row. Now, obviously, they haven't announced the lineups or anything like that. But I can tell you, you're probably going to see DJ LeMahieu leading off, playing first base. Next, you're going to see Aaron Judge out in right field. You'll probably see Giancarlo Stanton hitting DH, hitting third. You'll see Luke... Although, if, if Giancarlo Stanton is in there at DH... That moves LeMahieu back to second and moves Voight to first base. And Voight led Major League Baseball in home runs this year. So, obviously, we're the, the two, three, four hitters for the Yankees can hit home runs. Then you're going to have to face Giovanni Urshela, the guy who has turned his career around with the Yankees. The former Indian is playing third base. He's hitting 306 on the season with an 880 OPS. He's doing really well. All these Yankees have high OPSs because they all hit for a ton of power. Uh, Aaron Hicks could be in center field probably. He's only hitting .230 but has an .811 OPS. Uh, Clint Frazier could be out on left field. We could also see a little bit of Brett Gardner out there in left field because Gardner is a lefty. The Indians have all righty starters. So it'll be interesting to see if they go with Clint Frazier or Gardner, they've already announced that they're going to use their backup catcher for the opening game series. Uh, It is not going to be the normal catcher who they've used all season to be Gary Sanchez, but he's hitting 147. So apparently weak hitting catchers is going around the league. So they've already announced that they're going to go with Higashioka as the catcher for, I don't know if I'm saying that right. We'll find out on the broadcast tonight. Uh, as the catcher for Garrett Cole. He caught Cole all September, and Cole was lights out in September. So it's going to be a little bit tougher of a pitching matchup for the Indians to have to face this bat- these battery mates uh, in this series. And then as far as shortstop goes, you could see Glaber Torres. He was dealing with some health issues, but he is back. And then their utility guy is Wade and uh, he's someone that we're probably going to see bounce around their infield, Tyler Wade. It'll be interesting, like I said, to see if they give any of these guys rest. These guys have not been playing every day down the stretch. They've been giving them rest, days off. Uh, I think Stanton hasn't been playing every back-to-back games, so it'll be interesting to see if they basically send these guys out here and just let them go as long as they can stay healthy. So we're going to be facing Cole for, for their pitching staff. Obviously, Cole is the big name on their team. He, they gave him a ton of money in the offseason. He was the Game 1 World Series starter for Houston last year, and it's going to be tough. It is going to be a pitcher's duel, but you would expect nothing less in the first game of the playoffs. Any playoff series, it's always going to be two great pitchers going head-to-head. The game is seven o'clock on ESPN. They do not, obviously they do not have the lineups announced, but I'm guessing you're pretty sure who is going to be starting for the Indians. Cole is a righty. So it probably be Tyler Naquin. It'll probably be Josh Naylor out and left. It'll probably be Delino to De shields in center field, batting ninth and Roberto Perez catching. Um, I think Oscar Mercado actually gives better defense out there in center field, but Delano DeShields has been a streaky hitter, but he's been an okay hitter. I mean, he he seems to get hot, put together some multi-hit games that keeps his batting average up in the mid-200s, so Oscar Mercado just cannot hit anything this season. It, it's been probably one of the biggest disappointments of the season. If Shane Bieber is definitely the biggest not surprised because he was pitching good last season but the the brightest spot on this team has definitely been Shane Bieber and uh, the biggest disappointment I think would probably be Oscar Mercado um so yeah so that's what we have to expect from the Yankees uh speaking of Houston and Garrett Cole pitching for Houston I just thought it'd be fun Everybody gave Houston such a hard time about the cheating and deservedly so about the cheating scandal. And their batting averages definitely reflect the fact that uh, they had some help in seasons past. Uh, there is one outlier at the top. There is one guy on their team who batted 300. The next highest is Kyle Tucker, who hit 268. George Springer hit 265. Carlos Correa hit 264. Bregman hit 242, and Jose Altuve only hit 219 on the season. Now, who is the one guy who, without this cheating scandal, still hit 300? You know him. You love him. Former Cleveland Indian Michael Brantley still hit 300 on the season. I hope. I hope when someone writes a book about this one day we find out that Brantley had nothing to do with this thing, that no one ever banged a garbage can for Brantley. My guess is that he did it. I mean, we've known throughout his career, Brantley has been a great hitter and can hit 300 anytime he wants. And so he proved it this season, he is the only Houston Astro to hit above 268, to hit 300. So I thought, Everybody was ripping Houston all offseason, right? They were banging trash cans in spring training. And uh, Houston, if fans ever get back into the stands, Houston is going to hear it. Fans will not forget this cheating scandal. It is a black mark on the Houston Astros franchise on Major League Baseball. And we shouldn't. We should never let these guys forget what they did to cheat. Just like we don't let the steroid guys forget that they were cheating out there and that they cheated the game of baseball. So uh, I thought that was interesting that Michael Brantley is the one that kind of stood above all that. Hopefully. I don't know. We'll find out. When when someone writes the book, we'll all find out. All right. That's all my thoughts. That's my 2020 season wrap-up, regular season wrap-up, because we still have a lot of baseball to go. Fingers crossed we still have a lot of baseball to go. So we're facing the Yankees tonight. It's 7 o'clock. It's on ESPN. We're getting the primetime spots because we're facing the Yankees. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. And thanks for joining me for every Cleveland Baseball Morning this season. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can now email the show at Cleveland Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on air, respond to your thoughts, and have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks to everybody who called and uh, you know hit me up on social media and left messages this season. We've had a few, but we're welcoming them from everybody. If you've listened, there's no reason not to reach out, get your thoughts on the air, Let me hear what you think about this Indians team. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning.